Hey there, Grammaholics. Welcome back. It is your host, Kenzie. I'm here for an all new Missing Mondays episode. Missing Mondays was a segment that was created because at any given time, 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. While some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. It is my goal here at Crimeaholics to keep missing persons' name and information in the media to aid in their return home the best that I can. On this episode of Missing Mondays, I'll be bringing you the disappearance of Margaret Fox. Thank you to Casey out in California for suggesting this week's Missing Monday. If you have wanted to suggest a case for us to cover, you can go to our our linked tree website and you can find the link in our bio on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast. Now let's roll right into this week's Missing Monday episode. In June of 1974, a young girl by the name of Margaret Ellen Fox had just finished up the 8th grade. Growing up, Margaret always was described as a go-getter and an independent young girl. As soon as school had let out for the summer, Margaret had plans on getting a summer job where she could make some of her own money and spend it as she pleased. Margaret had a cousin named Lynn right around her same age, and her cousin Lynn had come up with the idea the two of them should get jobs as babysitters. Back then, when looking for a job to be a babysitter, it was done a lot differently than it is now. Now, Lynn and Margaret had come up with the idea to put an ad in their local Burlington, New Jersey newspaper, where they would offer babysitting services going to other people's homes in the area. Both Margaret and Lynn had added their information into the ad, and not long after publishing that ad, they had gotten a call from a man named John Marshall, who was looking for a babysitter to come to his home and babysit his five-year-old son. This man lives in a town called Mount Holly, and this is about less than 10 miles from where Lynn and Margaret lived in Burlington. When Lynn talked to her parents about her taking the job, they were not happy about her taking a job in another town, and they had also thought that this gig was just too good to be true. The man had offered her $40 a week for just four hours a day, and he said that they had a pool that they could use, and he would cover all of her expenses for the bus fare, so she really didn't need to do anything for herself. To her parents, they were just not okay with the idea, and something was just not settling right, so they told her no. When Lynn's parents told her no, she passed on the job to Margaret because it was just too good of an opportunity. Margaret said that she would give the guy a call to see if he would be interested in Margaret coming over. Margaret was so ecstatic being able to take this opportunity for her first job so she could start making some money. Margaret called John Marshall on June 19, 1974, and he asked her if there was any possible way that she could start just two days later on June 21st. He gives her instructions about how she is to take the bus and him and his wife would would meet her at a specific location in Mount Holly, and then from there, they would take Margaret to their home. After Margaret filled her parents in about all the information about this job, they told her that she could take it and that they felt comfortable with her doing so. So when the 20th rolls around, Margaret is getting super excited to be able to take her first job. But then John Marshall calls the day of the 20th to let Margaret know that his mother-in-law had unfortunately just recently passed away, so he was not going to be needing her anymore on the 21st. Margaret was a little disappointed that she was not going to be able to take this job but little did she know just a few days later John would call back asking if Margaret could start on the 24th. She was so ecstatic and told him that she would see him on the 24th. On Monday, June 24th, Margaret leaves to go to babysit the Marshall's son. Her 11-year-old brother Joe walks her down to the bus stop to make sure that Margaret makes it safely onto the bus. 
Margaret's mother had asked her to give her a call when she arrived to the Marshall's home. It is said that she was supposed to arrive that morning sometime around 9.30. So her mom was expecting to get a call sometime between 9.45 and 10 a.m. Margaret never makes that phone call, but her mom just assumes that she has a young boy at the home that she's trying to care for and she likely got distracted. However, Margaret was supposed to be home at 2.30 that day, but once 2.30 rolls around and Margaret doesn't show up, her mom starts to get a little worried, but is starting to think that maybe she just got a little caught up. But the hours go on and it's now 7.45 in the evening and Margaret is still not home. And her mom begins to panic. Margaret's mom calls the phone number that was left by Margaret and this is supposedly the number to the Marshall's home. When her mother makes this phone call, a woman answers the phone who her mom assumes is John Marshall's wife. She asks his wife if she could please speak to Margaret but the woman on the other end informs her that there is nobody there by that name. This phone call between Margaret's mother and this woman ends very abruptly. So Margaret's mother continues to call back and call back, but there's no answer on the other end. The phone continues to ring and ring. After the fifth call to the phone number, another person answers the phone, and this person on the other end tells Margaret's mother that she is in fact not calling the Marshalls home at all, that she's actually calling a payphone outside of a market, and she had no idea she had been calling a payphone this entire time. After getting this information, Margaret's mother gets a really tight knot in her stomach because her daughter has been gone and she has no way to reach her because she's been calling a fake phone number. Very quickly, her mother gets the smarts to look in the phone book for anybody named Marshall. She just starts calling to all of these random numbers and hopes she will be locating her daughter. But as you can assume, she has no look in locating Margaret. However, during the time of her mom making all of these phone calls, they find a note inside their home that had been left by Margaret. Margaret had left all of the details of her arrangements to be able to get to John Marshall's home. This note tells her that she is to take the bus to this certain location in Mount Holly and that she is to look for a reddish-orange Volkswagen car and he would be waiting there for her. While Margaret's mother continues to make these phone calls, her husband and one of Margaret's friends makes a 15-minute drive to Mount Holly to try and see if they can locate Margaret walking down the street. But just as you and I suspected, they do not locate Margaret. Now that it is late into the evening and there is still no sign of their daughter, they decide to call the police for help and file a missing persons report. Given her age, the police take this very seriously and don't assume that she had just been a runaway. Sometime after midnight, now on the 25th, the police open a missing persons investigation. Early on in the investigation, police asked community members who were on the bus that day who stated that they had actually seen Margaret and they had even seen her getting off the bus at the exact location she was told to and she had been seen speaking to a man, but nobody was ever able to identify him. What's even more bone chilling is when the police started investigating the area where the payphone was, the police find out that the store manager where the payphone is located just happens to be named John Marshall. And I'm sure that you're probably thinking, just like I was, that this is definitely the guy responsible. But the police very quickly rule him out. And the way they rule him out seems very negligent and just not efficient because John Marshall just happens to be friends with Lieutenant Ben English, the man who is over Margaret's investigation. Ben English tells police that there's no way that his friend John is responsible for this because he has known him for 25 years, he's a good man, and he has grown children of his own. There's just no way he is involved. Not to mention, he also had an alibi that had had him working at the time of Margaret's disappearance. 
Three days after Margaret disappears and her story is shared with the media, other parents in the Burlington and Mount Holly area step forward to tell police that their daughters had also been contacted about fake babysitting jobs and their parents had just not allowed them to go because something didn't set right. Now that the police have this information, they are positive that this was not just some random kidnapping and that this was very well planned. And it gets confirmed just days later when Margaret's family gets a call from a random person and this is a ransom call. When they get the phone call, Margaret's mother answers the phone and you can hear a man on the other end of the line saying, $10,000 might be a lot of bread, but your daughter's life is the buttered topping. And then you can hear her mother ask who this is, and then the call ends abruptly. Now, the FBI did not actually release this call in 2017, which obviously you know that it is many, many, many years after Margaret had went missing. People have questioned why they waited so long to release this call when it could have been so crucial very early on in this case because Burlington and Mount Holly were communities where most everyone knew everybody, and somebody may have recognized the random caller's voice. The police have stepped forward and said that the reason they did not release it when it came out was because the call was not very clear. In order for the call to be put out digitally, the call had to be cleared up and the technology was not good enough to do so until 2017. The police at this point are not sure if this ransom call is legitimate, but her family is wasting no time in hoping that they're going to get Margaret back home. So they spend a few days rounding up the $10,000 and they are ready to take it to the location where the person who made the ransom call told them to leave the money. However, before they could get the chance to drop off the $10,000, they receive a letter in the mail from someone who they think is the same person. The letter basically says to them that they screwed up and that the deal is off and not to bring the money. It is said that the FBI was actually able to pull prints from this letter, but when they ran it into the database, there was never a match, leaving them once again at a dead end. Later in the same year when these fingerprints were pulled from the letter, the police were also able to put together a sketch of a man that was seen talking to Margaret the day of her disappearance. But no one ever stepped forward to say who this man may have been. But he was a white male between 35 to 40, 200 to 230 pounds, and he had very piercing blue eyes, white blonde or reddish hair, and very straight white teeth. And they also gave this description of the reddish orange Volkswagen that he may have been driving. Once again, police are just nowhere any further to find Margaret. None of this brings any tips or leads. But that was until a couple years later when several incidents took place. In 1976, a 53-year-old man had confessed to killing Margaret. But as the police investigated this story, they found out that it was a total lie and he had made up the entire thing. Not long after this, a man named John Houseman was arrested for killing a 15-year-old girl named Patty. And it is so creepy how similar her murder is to Margaret's investigation. John had lured Patty to his home after she had put out an ad for babysitting and he had offered for her to work at his home. But once again, the police ruled him out. However, there is never an exact reason released to the public on how or why they ruled him out. But it's just so hard to let go because this is the exact way that Margaret went missing and this man's first name also happens to be John. With none of these panning out, the police start to look at local sex offenders who lived in the area where Margaret was dropped off at the bus station. But again, they have absolutely no luck. 1988 and 1990 were the last two leads to ever come about in Margaret's disappearance. 
1988, just an hour from where Margaret lived, the remains of a young girl were found in a shallow grave where her body had been covered up by two tires. The police and Margaret's family were holding out hope that maybe this was her, but they were not able to confirm that it was her right away because Margaret's dental records had been lost in 1992. It was almost 10 years later that they were able to confirm that the remains that were found were in fact not Margaret at all, and unfortunately, this remains are still of a Jane Doe. In 1990, a jawbone had been found in a backyard in Mount Holly, but there was never any follow-up or information released to the public about who this jawbone had belonged to. So again, her case was just left cold. It has now been over 40 years since Margaret went missing and her family and the local community and the police all believe that Margaret is deceased. But her killer is still out there at large and he or she needs to be brought to justice. Although all of this time has passed since Margaret went missing, somewhere knows something. If you have any information about the disappearance of Margaret Ellen Fox, you are highly encouraged to call the FBI Newark Field Office at 973-792-3000. Or you can call the Burlington Police Department at 609-386-0262. Crimeholics, if you haven't already, I highly encourage you to join our Crimeholics podcast discussion group on Facebook. Or you can follow us on Instagram at crimeholics.podcast where I will have pictures of Margaret posted. Or you can follow me personally on Instagram at this is Kenzie, K-E-N-Z-I underscore. Crimeholics, as always, be aware and take care.